0: A one, two, three, four. How about that, Rob? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Is that uh, how every gonna,
0: Bruce Springsteen song starts? Start of everyone or one. Uh, welcome to the uh, Common Good Podcast, Tuesday, the seventh of March. Uh, welcome aboard, Doug Padgett here with a very raspy voice because it's been uh, <clears throat> less than forty-eight hours since uh, I stood screaming, scream yelling, and scream singing for. Uh, two hours and 50 minutes at a Bruce Springsteen concert the other night and in fact gentlemen yesterday I had to record a video for this project we're launching about common good this could transition tell people about it's called tell your story go over to our website and you'll see the tell your story chance for people to tell their story and I had to make a little intro video for that and had to wait to send out our regular email because I couldn't speak uh, on Monday morning from my, from my voice, I said, give me till noon. I have to rest my voice. So glad to be uh, able to chat with you, Doug Padgett here in Minneapolis. Beautiful, sunny day, 30 something degrees. The uh, snow is starting to finally melt. Um, it's been, it's, we've been pummeled. How are things there in uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas area?
1: Yeah, they are they are beautiful here in Fayetteville, Arkansas area. Uh, it is sunny and uh, Low 70s and just mm. feels like spring is on the brink of uh, wow. of being here, which is just really, really nice. I
0: mean, you people that get spring in the month of March, what a what a privileged class! I'm telling you, just something <laughs> yeah. else. I mean, where Dan and I live, uh, Dan, is this true in West Michigan? Like you, spring, you're talking April, maybe late April, oh, early yeah, May, for sure. early May. I mean, Mother's Day is not necessarily a spring holiday. We, it. we usually incredible. have snow
2: on Easter. That's that's yeah. how we roll. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How how are things there in West Michigan, Dan? It does feel a little springy right now. The snow okay. is melted. Uh, the sun is out. It's still pretty cold, but you know, for a Midwesterner, that's like you know low 40s is t-shirt weather.
0: So you'll take it. Well, it's good to hear from Alex It's 78 degrees, uh, already yeah. at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning in uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Jim, I bet it's glorious in California as well. Some of the regulars. Leslie
1: does not want to talk about the weather. She is, she's ready to just jump into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Leslie's like, you know what
0: I'll tell you? You know, what I'll tell you. It's hot. Let's go. That's I mean, the hell that the Republicans are going to live in. That's, <laughs> the thing that's, that's the thing that's hot. Hey, uh, uh, I've been uh, grousing about my tickets to the Bruce Springsteen concert. I did go. It was fabulous. Just a public service help to anyone. If you can go, go. uh, you should go. If you're not a Bruce Springsteen fan, I don't know if you should. Because, Rob, around me, I don't know if you saw this where you were. I was on a a place where we were standing up and lots of heads turning around, kind of looking at each other. And a third of the concert was played with the full lights on in the place so everybody could see each other. Incredible uh, choice. You could see the people who were there with someone who was a Springsteen fan, because the Springsteen <laughs> fan was yelling and screaming, and then uh, their yeah. their seat partner, maybe their yes. uh, maybe their wife or husband, was just staring like, "What is going on? I don't understand a single word they're singing. How is everyone singing all of these songs?" and that moment of feeling like you're in a room where everyone else is going with the you know going with the energy and totally into it and you're not that was evident all around me more so than i have seen at other bruce springsteen concerts i don't know why i've been to a dozen or so but this one was just more people around me that seemed like they did not know what was going on in this 2 hours and 50 minutes of thunder I was something else
1: well you know i uh i happen to sit by one of those people um uh, my my own wife um uh, who you know wouldn't necessarily call herself a bruce springsteen fan and uh just you know knows the a few of the radio hits you know dancing in the dark you know because of courtney cox uh you know it, it yeah it, but she was she was um, kind of swept up in the excitement and mm-hmm. just the the wave after wave after wave of music. I mean, just, I mean, for people like, listen, you want a three hour musical experience. When I saw him in Tulsa, he literally played for three hours on the nose, 746 to 1046 or 740, yeah, 746 to 1046, like on the nose, three hours.
2: With barely a
1: break between songs, you know, normally you go to concerts and like, you know, they'll tell stories between songs and, you know, catch their breath. And he told two stories between songs and even those were very, very short and music playing while he was talking, Uh, there was no stopping in the music and uh, it was like being in a wave pool and just getting clobbered <laughs> by musical brilliance and uh and either you drown in it or you start riding the waves and have a great time and start and, riding and, the waves you know that's what uh, that's true. what vanessa did and you know we had we had a blast
0: great great time there was a uh, one of the things i saw at this concert which i'd never seen at a concert maybe it's standard and i just wasn't in the section to see it was a sign language interpreter. In fact, there were yeah. three of them that rotated throughout, and they are just out of the corner of my eye. So I'd sort of look at the stage sometimes and then turn and look at this person. And they, they are dancing and interpreting the songs. And I just thought it was just a lovely thing to see and just yeah. a beautiful beautiful uh, uh, expression. And it did make me think about all, all the ways in which movements, musical experiences political rallies political movements religious movements sweep people into something that makes them committed to it at a level that's not just logical right yeah. it 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 make it you're not in the part of your human ecosystem that is making logical decisions you're in an experience and then you're reinterpreting that experience you know with your thoughts and all not dissimilar to how a lot of people end up thinking the way they think about cultural issues political issues all the rest of it and um yeah uh, yeah i was very very attentive to those to those kinds of of uh, yeah. realities you know that yeah. and also i i don't know maybe that room was probably you know 20,000 people in it where i was i don't know maybe a third of the people in there i might find political strong disagreement with maybe half i don't know but you just sort of set all mm. that stuff aside and it was one of those strange moments where it's like who cares about that stuff yeah. right now we're just going to we're just climbing on this yeah climbing on this train and going yeah. down yeah and road.
1: and you know Bruce who's someone who's kind of known for his politics and his music um the the concert that i went to the song set and everything that took place it was very non-political like it was yeah. just, you know i've been to u2 concerts that are very political and i kind of wondered if it was going to go that direction and and it just didn't it was just for the love of the music it was, yeah. it was spectacular. I mean, so, can, yeah. I'll stop we, talking about it. Now. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm with you. Can we, uh, poor Dan? Dan, you got to go.
2: Uh, uh, I would love to get, if someone had tickets available, you know, and oh. would have sold them to well, me at the last minute. Mm. Well, there, <laughs> hey, I'll
0: just say if anybody's in a city, <laughs> at least this was it my was experience. about an here. eight hour drive away.
2: Otherwise, I would have.
0: To Minneapolis. If it comes near you, wait till day of and people around us were buying tickets for a hundred bucks in grade seats. Like that's the the tickets are so expensive um that the the people buy them and then can't sell them and then end up, uh, selling, selling them off at a, at a steep discount. I personally had to do that. And so did many of the people sitting around me, they bought those seats from others, you know, days before. So, uh, yeah, yeah, keep, keep your eyes out and do it, do it that way. Make it cheap. Yeah.
1: So let's, uh, let's talk about another place that, uh, you know, couldn't sell all the tickets to the seats, Um, and, uh, (laughs) and that is the, uh, conservative political action committee having their, uh, their national meeting CPAC as it's known. Um, now this is CPAC really kind of rose to prominence in the eighties. Ronald Reagan spoke to CPAC and, you know, kind of put it on the map as a, as an event. It has become over the years, kind of the, uh, the who's who of, you know, Republican conservative politics shows up at CPAC. Uh, in the past, CPAC has been kind of um, more aligned with, like, the wonkier wing of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. the National Review, Heritage Foundation, William F. Buckley, intellectual no. um side like coming up with serious policy issues and trying to innovate solutions you know based in talking about conservative principles in new ways and really has in the past been um a real serious player in republican politics
2: Mm -hmm. over the last
1: few not, not so much now over the last few years it's turned into a circus i mean it's a it's a clown show and it is now you know just uh you know trump crazy and it just you know so i there was just a you know a remarkable gathering of people who uh um you know i just fawning in their adoration for uh all things uh, Donald Trump and the uh, the Make America Great Again movement and Christian nationalism and you know railing against wokeism and you know the whole nine yards. It was just um, you know the full on crazy rally.
0: Totally, and you, you and it was poorly attended, as you as you alluded to, um, and there were. Two or three other events going on at precisely the same time, inviting many of the same characters. So it shows that inside the Republican Party, there is a, a great amount of competition, if not fracture, that is uh, that's happening. One of those events going on across the street was put together by Nick Fuentes, who's this racist person. Um, uh, propagandist that's out in the world, did an event right across the street. DeSantis and Mike Pence were at some other event, can't remember where that was, like in Texas or something, that they scheduled at precisely the same time. Funders pulled out of CPAC, including Fox News, didn't cover it, partly because of the scandal of Matt Schlapp, who's the organizer of this, credible accusations against him um, sexually groping a male uh, staff worker, Um, During the campaign. So it's just an unbelievable mess. During the the Herschel-Walker campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, the Herschel-Walker campaign. And so a small crowd, self-selected crowd that's there, very Trumpy. And yet... Donald Trump got sixty percent of the straw vote. There, they do this little poll. You know, like who do you want to be the next the next nominee? Even in a setting where it's smaller than normal and has weeded out the people who aren't the CPAC uh, nut jobs, he still only gets sixty yeah. percent. I mean, that yeah. is you can say well, way ahead of the other people. You know, there like Rick Desantis, Ron DeSantis got uh, you know thirty percent or twenty percent, something like that. But Trump did. Trump barely got sixty percent. I mean, that's yeah. less than what he'll get in a national election if he if he is the nominee. It's just, the, this whole Trump thing is clearly not working and he's likely to be the Republican nominee. Yeah. It's just yeah. unbelievable yeah. train wreck of a political party. And and has yeah. earned, earned, in my view, has earned every bit of it.
1: Yeah. A few things that are important to note that came out of CPAC. One was, um, you know, one speaker... Calling for the eradication of transgenderism, um, yeah, which you know, deeply concerning because you know, if you eradicate transgenderism, you know, that's not a thing. Yes. Transgender people are a thing, and eradicating transgenderism is, you know, basically calling for the genocide of of yeah. transgender folks, which is just you know. Deeply Horrible. disturbing. Yeah, stunningly, stunningly yeah. dangerous.
0: And it, yeah. yeah, I was just at an event in in Arizona this last week with a bunch of people working on uh, the threat of Christian nationalism, especially the the white nationalist Christian nationalist expression of it. Yeah. And there was a person that gave a presentation on the kinds of language and the kind of political arguments that are made in situations where there becomes not just Kind of hostile fascist leadership, but where people turn on one another, where there's some kind of physical violence and some kind of you know war uh, uh, on a people group, and the language that is used in all of those settings uh, that they've been able to track, you know, whether it's from Rwanda to, to Germany to uh, parts of Malaysia, this these arguments are precisely this kind of thing. Like it, people who study this and know what happens when they become wildly dangerous movements, that's what was going on at CPAC. And frankly, that's what's going on across the whole mega movements uh, languaging. And um, it doesn't seem like the more honest brokers in the Republican superstructure are still willing to do anything about it. Like they'll still say over and over, If Donald Trump and if the MAGA expression is the choice of the Republican party, we will support it and make sure that we do everything we can to, to help it have more power in the United States. It's just utterly despicable.
1: Yeah. I mean, that feels like that is turning a little bit. Um, And maybe this is, you know, once again, wishful thinking on my part, but, you know, I've, I've heard establishment Republicans say very distinctly lately that mm. they will not support Donald Trump again. Oh. And, you know, Paul Ryan has said that. Um, Larry Hogan, former mayor or governor of Maryland, um, you know, said that he would not support um, sure. Trump's nomination for president. Um, so, it, I, you know, you just kind of hope that it's
2: uh, but I, yeah. But let me do, ask we've you. We've this. been doing this since 2015. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, no, no, totally. no this will
1: be the thing. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: Let me ask you this: Do you find hope that, like, this you know CPAC has turned into basically a smaller, more isolated club for the radical right? Do you find hope in that, or is it just trading like the brazen racism and transphobia for a softer, gentler Ron DeSantis? anti-wokeness like same thing but with a little different veneer.
0: Well, that that to me is the danger is that Donald Trump has set the expectation that you're going to be a vigilante like president. Right? You're going to go after certain people. You're going to have enemies and targets and you're going to go after them. Trump said, you know, I am your retribution, all this stuff. So whoever ends up the nominee is going to have to be in that space somewhere, right? He's made that the norm. There's no way you get the nomination without some kind of yeah. uh agreement that you too will act like that. So it's he has definitely moved the the Republican expression into a place where anti, then fill in the blank, wokeness or whatever. And, and I would call it really sort of despising half or three quarters of America. Like Trump can say, oh no, I'm just talking about the leaders. He's not just talking about leaders. He's talking about individual people as, as he and his campaign characterized when they were targeting by name campaign workers at the end of the 2020 campaign. This is the only time that I know of that a president has called out and called for the punishment of a citizen of the United States by other citizens. It's, it's a broken uh, 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 Republican system now that I think can only be, it, it, There is no way you get the nomination without living in that vein. So I I don't think there's a way that it can be that it can be salvaged. I think it's really going to be quite, um, quite quite dangerous. Yeah,
2: Doug, you referenced this quote in his speech. He said uh, Donald Trump said in 2016, I declared I am your voice, and uh, he goes on. Today I add I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. Like, what? I heard this. (laughs) Who is writing this? And it's actually scarier when you read it. When you hear him say it, it's almost awkward and painful. Uh, Like, he says it with such a complete lack of, like, conviction. (laughs) Like, sort of stumbling over it, like, you can tell he's reading it. Like someone wrote this for a powerful yeah. moment and yes. then he just dropped the ball. But these words are disturbing. Like, I am your retribution? What is that?
0: Yeah. And, and vo- vote for me if you've been wronged. What citizen feels like they, they have been wronged? Like, again, this is the language that you yeah. use when you're setting up. In politics, y- you can have at least three expressions. You can have the expression of us and them recognizing difference and saying we're all in this. So it's the and conjunction, us and them. You can even have the versus. It's us versus them, right? It's us against them even. I don't prefer that. I think that's harmful. I don't think we should go that way. But that's inside the political space, us versus them. What gets dangerous is us or them, When you move from and to versus to the or and you're now Mm -hmm. saying us or them for our survival, that's when it gets dangerous. And that us or them is what Trump has been trafficking in from the beginning and has pulled the Republican Party's expression of us and them or us versus them fully into it's us or them. It's either or. And. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And this speech that, you know, I have this friend that I use as sort of my North star for understanding what what MAGA conservatives are believing, said, oh, I hope you listened to that speech. There wasn't a hateful word in it. Like he literally doesn't see that this kind of thing is the subtext for full-on againstism and either orism in in american politics and it's extremely dangerous and i'll just say to all of our you know the political friends that agree with me and us on certain topics don't fall into or ism right mm-hmm. it is profoundly dangerous and um and even try to resist the, because look, we're not gonna get rid of conservatives or mega people or nationalists or anything. We have to figure out as a country, how we live when they too are part of the us. Mm-hmm. Now we can decide who has more power. We can decide whose ideas are gonna be followed up on, whose ideas are gonna have more significance. And we should be having great political debate about all of that, but they're around, they're not going anywhere. and we have to find a way i think to call people to a better version of themselves and not get into um a level of competition that really has something to do with we have to get rid of these people but getting rid of trans you know transgenderism uh replacement and all this that is full on uh, us or them kind of language
2: yeah Yeah.
1: for sure yeah doug that was so well said i don't i don't know quite what more to add other than to say i'm really glad that the only political news that 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 CPAC and this really disturbing stuff coming out of CPAC was not the only political news of the week. And, uh, in addition to all of this, we get the, uh, you know, the little palate cleanser, the little, little breather, the little, uh, you know, you don't get this at a Bruce Springsteen concert where it's wave after wave after wave of song, you don't get a chance to catch your breath and to think for a minute, uh, but you do when Ron DeSantis is on the uh, on the oh. stage and you're uh, you're standing out <laughs> you wondered where I was going with that. You're standing out there and you're you're exactly waiting for Ron DeSantis to uh to speak and you notice um is he wearing high heels?
0: He's kinda he's got a high lift in the boots. You know, we we I mean, have so seen multiple is- Images of Ron DeSantis in bad boots and why this man continues to put himself out there, whether it's the knee high whites uh, during the um, during the the flood or the, you know, the boot kicker uh, uh, high heel cowboy boots. So, I mean, we obsessed with footwear.
1: Yeah, his own M and M's. All right, so yeah. people that can't
0: see the image, they should see that's an image of Ron DeSantis sitting on a stage, getting ready to speak because he's at a political rally. You can tell by all the apparatus around him, and then there's a circle pullout of his boots, and they're a significantly high heeled. Uh, boot, which has raised this issue. Why is he wearing high heels? Which gets combined with the fact that Ron DeSantis is five foot nine and the fact that um, people in the United States have only ever elected one president who's not uh, taller than the average male in America. And look, does this matter?
1: Can you? Um, wait, wait, can not we to me. Can we not them? to me. Cal- does, Calvin Coolidge.
0: Calvin, Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge. Yeah, Calvin way Don't
1: just <laughs> and, gloss over him. That's yes, right. Name, those
0: of, say, name. And, yeah. those of us who are five nine and yeah.
1: Those of us who were five nine and claim to be five eleven. You know, deserve <laughs> you <laughs> to not it. be gl- not to be glossed over.
0: And, and look, it, it, does it matter? Well, that that he's five foot nine. Well, not to me. Do you know who it seems to matter to? In. Ron DeSantis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the reason it comes up is not because we're going to play some sizism about who's supposed to have more power because there's this weird evolutionary thing in, in humanity that thinks that bigger is more powerful and, and all the rest of it. It's ridiculous and nonsense. Um, you know, and for all the people who do things says about the eight, big yeah, easy eight, for you man. to say.
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, as somebody who's
0: <laughs> <laughs> as somebody who's six foot Chewbacca seven. Over I, I, here. Hear, <laughs> I hear I hear I mean I have watched it happen my entire life. People deferring to me and to others, and my son, who's taller than I am, uh was, as he was, you know, reaching adolescence and young adulthood, he's like, Dad, it's unbelievable how people Do this thing like physically move or or demure or demure or give up in conversation. Like it's just a thing, right? So taller people, bigger people have have noticed this. Less tall people have also noticed. Like it's a reality. Should it be? I sure hope not. It's there's. I, I promise you, I'm around a lot of big people. I played college basketball. All of my friends were taller than the average. It's not a select group of people that are better at the world, right? Uh, it, it's not a real thing. But there's a lot of perception, and the fact that DeSantis keeps dealing with it, bringing it up, because it's not just his boots that he wears. It's all there's a number of things that he does in all public appearances to try to address this issue, and it's it it shows that it's in his head even more than it's in uh, than it's in the media's head.
2: And It's because uh, you know, it's. You know this anti woke thing is all mixed up with this whole alpha male thing as well. Yeah. It's like you have to yes. be the big tough guy. You can't show weakness. You gotta, yeah. It's all all yeah, a soup yeah. of and awfulness.
1: Yes, Nonsense. and and all of it too. I think comes back, and you know, uh, Trisha, who you know we love. And her comments and love having her a part of the conversation as we talk about this. You know, she says, I don't really care what DeSantis wears, his attacks on our education's transgender and corporations is more concerning. Absolutely. Totally. But yeah. But I I would I would add this. Ron DeSantis shows us his insecurity over and over and over again. That highlights what his character is and what mm-hmm. how he views the world, and these boots are a window into the insecurity that we can see that he had, like that same insecurity that gets gets projected into education with oh we can't you know we can't have anybody you know teaching anything I might disagree with or you know that that uh, you know m- makes. People I think are good, you know, look bad. Uh, we can't have Disney, you know, uh, running its own thing here in our state. Mm-hmm. We can't have bloggers writing about me. Yes. And have you yeah. heard this story about Regist- bloggers he's having asking, to
0: register? Demand- they're trying to pass a law to have bloggers register if they're going to write about the governor.
1: Wow. <laughs> Un- yes. Unbelievable. So all level of this. Of- yeah. So we use the boot thing to to poke a little fun at his insecurity and to highlight how everything he does is rooted in insecurity and, 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 you know, his own personal insecurity. And Dan, I think you're exactly right. I think it goes back to a toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and this idea, this, this macho, you've got to, you've got to lead in this macho way and then you know Trump has done this so now he's trying to out macho Trump and Trish is exactly right his it's a Napoleon complex it absolutely is and uh, and you know if we can if we can make fun of him a little bit for it and, and poke some holes in it by you know dude you're wearing lifts and like like you're not supposed to do that like you, come on this is yeah, and- I mean, it, look, did you not watch Seinfeld? You're not supposed to wear the lifts. And, and
0: look, if he was, if, as somebody who could recognize, because he's been in politics his entire adult life, right? He was in the Florida legislature and then he was a congressman and now he's a governor. He'd been around this stuff.
1: He's been living There's on the a, government t- dole. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's been, he, he hasn't, he hasn't worked an honest day in his life. Uh, you know, that old argument Republicans used to say, Um which apparently never did count, uh, you know, other people on the military dole, like farmers and uh, military and you know retired people. But anyway, what what Ron DeSantis could have done was played into it a bit. Hey, look, you know, I'm I'm a mighty five foot nine and uh, got my boots on today, so I can it, like he could had he been someone who was normal and healthy just. Been all about this. Instead, what's clearly coming out from his campaign, not only as a governor, but in all those other roles, not only was he a bully, he's insecure and he uses policy to bully people and then tries to find weaknesses to exploit so he can seem strong and then sets up environments for visuals and all this to make him look and seem something he's not. No reason to have to be doing that stuff. I mean, I, the point I want to make on this, and I think Robin, Dan, you guys are, are making it too, is. This is not the way it's supposed to go. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to do this stuff. And then to act all uh, insulted when people notice the myriad ways that you've been trying to (laughs) deal with this. Look, if you're going to put yourself out there as the model leader in what he says is the model state in America then your leadership is something more than policy decisions. Because in this country, we elect people, individuals to do jobs. We don't elect party representatives who simply perform the function of an established set of policy positions. We're not we don't run a parliamentarian system here. We run a representative form of, of government, which means there's a representative who does things as an individual person. So the person matters, and as you said so well, Rob, this is an insight into this person. Yeah. And and look, it can be easy. And there's a comment here, you know, to, that you know to call someone names, to to reference someone with an animal term. And I'll just say that that. That, again, calling someone a dog or a horse, that's dehumanizing language, and it's not helpful. First of all, it doesn't work. And secondly, it builds this idea that somehow Ron DeSantis is not a full human being who deserves all the cares and considerations of a human being who wants to use his position as a human being to put forth certain policies that are going to have great effect and use his own personal force to lead in a particular way all of that is on the table for calling out but we shouldn't um, we always need to humanize these things and and i'll just advise people it just works better in politics to not use Uh, metaphors that dehumanize a person is a better way to help people come around the corner uh, to understand um, the view that you hold and maybe to take your view and and to hold it with you. And the thing about DeSantis is he is constantly creating a situation in which he's saying that some people are more worthy for the care of the country and the citizenry and the government than others, whether it's People who he differs with politically, whether it's the wokeism or it's a migrant that has come to this country to try to uh, you know uh, seek seek refuge as a refugee, is then set on an airplane and sent around as some sort of a prop. Uh, and so this is always this this struggling thing with with the Republicans who choose to use um, uh, dehumanizing language and dehumanizing policies.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, and I would I, I would just say you know Ron. You're taking yourself too seriously, and so we're we're gonna poke some fun at you because, like, yeah, that you, you need that, you need
2: that. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, what is this story you just did put you up guys, on the screen? Yeah, did you guys not see this? So I no. just know. because speaking of Florida and wanting to silence those that uh, disagree with you. Republicans in Florida are trying to get rid of the Democratic Party. Now, to be clear, this is a long-shot bill. It's not going to pass. But a GOP lawmaker in Florida filed this bill Tuesday that would eradicate the Democratic Party in the state. So let's just get rid of the party that opposes us. That seems like the American thing to do. <laughs>
0: That's right. This, is. Like, wow. this is
2: what is happening in Florida with DeSantis at the helm, you know? It wow. is really something look, I have never seen
0: a the country has long wanted governors to be presidents. There's something yes. about being the executive of the executive branch of a state that people feel comfortable with that executive being the executive branch of the government. So you you can go back and find after war heroes, we sort of moved to governors. Occasionally there's a senator in there. But for a long time before Barack Obama, there was, you know, senators didn't really have a Kennedy. pathway.
1: Yeah, Kennedy and and Obama are the only senators to be elected president. Yeah,
0: and a, and a congressman, you know that uh, uh, Johnson that filled in after it came in after Kennedy, right? Um, so we want governors. It's a thing that's been very very attractive. Fair enough, but I've never seen a pseudo campaign like DeSantis is pushing that wants to suggest that their state is a full on model for the country. The way he has said it is essentially, my words, not his. There is only one place where America has really been America in the last four years, and that's the state of Florida, (laughs) right? Like He's going to try to run on things like population increase in Florida. In other words, people are moving to Florida, and he's trying to suggest they're moving to Florida because they want to be In a state where he's the governor no it is unbelievable that he wants to pit florida as the as the place i promise you if there were not beaches in florida and warm weather there would be no one moving to florida ron
1: yes people move to florida for two reasons number one there's no in there's no income tax and number two the weather yeah death and taxes and weather that's it
0: there's a reason people move there yeah And and frankly, and here's the other thing. Somebody just I just read this story that was about the big analysis on the success of Florida. Because in some ways, Florida has been a successful state, doing the things that it wants to do. If you say Mm -hmm. what Floridians have voted for over the last 20 years, has it accomplished its goals? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you've had Republican governors, you've had Democratic governors, and you've had Ron DeSantis. Okay. So you've got this. You've you've got the full range. Many of the successes of the things that the Ron DeSantis people are cheering are playouts from when Jeb Bush was the governor. They were systemic changes that Jeb Bush put in place and that Governor Chris put into place. So the idea here that the Ron DeSantis comes in is like, hey, I've been governor for 48 months. Look what I did to Florida. It's just simply shocking, right? Talk about a guy taking credit for other people's efforts and talk about someone taking credit for other people's hard work Robin, and Dan, I remember a day when Republicans would say things like, um, it's the hardworking people of America that make America great, not our politicians. Well, Ron DeSantis, who wants to put a shutdown on politicians, put a shutdown, you know, by removing the Democratic Party, put a shutdown on the press and put a shutdown on business, wants to take all the credit for the people working in Florida. Now, why are we going on and on about this? Because one of two people is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party. There's two, two visions, Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. That's pretty much it. I, if Donald Trump does say, uh, I'm going to take a deal with the Justice Department and um, not go to jail or have a trial for one of a half a dozen uh, pending uh, cases against him and not run for office, and then Ron DeSantis decides not to run, there's maybe a possibility that there's another candidate in the next 18 months that rises to the surface, uh, but the chances of both of those things happening uh, are are... Are pretty slim. So here's a guy who wants to take credit in Florida for things that aren't even his, and the stuff he's been doing, it's just base rattling, like it's just pumping up the base in a way that is that is nonsense. But I hear it from Republicans all over the country when they talk about Ron DeSantis, they talk about how great the state of Florida is. These were people who hated the state of Florida when Chris was the governor. It was the problem, and now apparently it's uh, it's the mighty solution. But I will say this. I know this is hard for Trish and maybe it's hard for Alex because they live there. But people in Florida really like Ron DeSantis. I, I don't I, I, – independents and uh, and and hardwired Republicans. So, uh, look, he's, he's – I think he's incompetent to be president. I don't even think he's a good governor. But that's a minority opinion for people in Florida. So, he's a – are he's a real he's a real player in this in this yeah
1: political scene. and uh, and it sounds like it's most likely that uh, if he is the Republican nominee, he'll be uh, facing uh, President Joe Biden running yeah. for a second term.
0: Big meeting, I guess over the weekend or late last week with uh, the Democratic uh, peoples uh, you know in in the in the government Intelligentsia. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they came out of that. they came out of that saying uh, want Biden to run again. Yeah. Um, so he's the deep he's state clear- has decided. <laughs> <laughs> he's clearly uh, he's clearly laying out the pathway for yeah. uh, for for a, an announcement that he's going to seek uh, another term as uh, as president. And so somehow, since 2008, there will have only been one presidential election where Joe Biden's name was not on the ballot.
2: Wow. Is anyone Think about else that just, for a just like really bummed out about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I understand yeah. the calculus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah, you know, yeah. <sighs> Joe Biden has been a far more effective president than I ever imagined that he would be. And at the same time, I feel like it all could come crashing down at any moment. And I, and, and, Maybe all of that will be unfounded. Maybe I, you know, I have I have consistently underestimated Joe Biden, and and it looks like you know as he heads into a, a reelection campaign, I will continue to completely underestimate Joe Biden. But yeah, yeah look, it,
0: he's been he's been on the ballot all but one presidential campaign since two thousand eight, so it's a long time. He's won them all. I think he has won every election that he has been in. I think he has
1: never lost. That's a- there was a Democratic primary, you know, that he didn't uh, he didn't come through. Yeah, that's true. In 1988, um, dropped out.
0: Um, but you know, when his name was on the ballot for an official election, not some sort of party picking process, he's won them all. I'm sure that's rolling around his head, and he's 80 or 81 and has been around for a very long time and this r- really seemed like a moment where he could say what a great presidency i had it's time to move on but that's not happening it's it's clearly 6 months ago i was hopeful that it was happening i thought there's a here's a possibility for not having trump or biden on the uh, as the as the choices yeah. and if honestly if we're back into 2020 same um, Ugh. you know, you could, you could reuse, uh, a number of the ads and the, you know, I don't think Mike Pence is going no, to be Donald Trump's president's pick. No, no, no. It's really, it's really something. It's going to feel to the country like Groundhog's Day movie. Yeah. We're just Can't. back in it again. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, you know, I voted for, I voted for Biden. I wore a Biden Harris t-shirt around my house yesterday. We went to the Bruce Springsteen concert. I'm. I'm glad he's the president. Voted for him, supported him, worked for him. Yep. I'll do it again. But, doggone it. It just seemed like, you know, it yeah. would be a time to, you know, as Bob Seger would say, turn the page. And yeah. uh, it, it doesn't seem to be.
2: Well, look, if Biden keeps <laughs> doing stuff like this, uh, did you guys see this uh, you know, yep. This news that the Biden administration is considering reinstating detention of migrant families They're trying to get ready for Title 42 phasing out. And they're worried about optics at the border. They're worried about all this stuff. Worried about looking tough. And so they're thinking, hey, why don't we uh, go back to that thing that Trump was so good at, locking up families with children.
0: Yep. Look, uh, the Biden administration has been good on so many things. The border... And immigration has not been one of them. They're trying to get better on parts of immigration. And for people that are into this stuff, they know who dreamers are and they know what TPS is. You know, they, they know about the worker visas and so on. But their total lack of commitment to engaging on the border with a beautiful vision for how this should be is really disturbing. And if they do these kinds of things, that is... Whether or not it has great political uh, consequence, I don't think it will, only because it's very hard to get Americans to care about people trapped on the wrong side of a border or on the wrong side of a detention fence. People just don't seem to care. But morally, it's reprehensible. What the, the the lack of care and concern? Just Saturday, I was there. I was at the border wall. Went into Mexico. Went with Dora, who's uh, one of the people that works in Sasebe, um, Mexico, and that we met along the ride. And you can watch her story on the on our YouTube channel and in the forthcoming documentary, "The We the People Ride." And. We went there and hearing her as an on-the-ground working person say, in the first four months, we had regular contact with the administration, a number of us who are working hands on the board. Now there's just no contact at all. Mm. They have abandoned engagement on the border. And I don't understand why. And they turned it over you know, to, to Vice President Harris to be the one in charge of it. And they should have appointed a czar. Remember when there were czars? Remember when people were appointed to like be in charge of things, and we call them a czar? Boy, those those were cute days, uh, like the Russian czar. I should have appointed somebody to be the contact and at the border and pulling together the people who are working there and and figuring out these issues. If and if they are doing this, and we just don't know about it, that's even more tragic, right? Yeah. Oh, you've got people actually really really working on this and people don't know about it. Instead, news stories like this and lived experience on the border is that, and Democrats don't want to talk about it. Right. They It didn't come up in the State of the Union. It's not in a policy priority. There's some work being done on opening up the refugee process. They're going to extend it maybe to people from Nicaragua. They're going to extend the category. But They're using a very broken system of deciding which nations people come from that get preferential treatment instead of being engaged and calling this stuff out and messaging on it day after day after day. And that's what they should be doing. They're not. And the reason is it's not a political winner for them. And that's heartbreaking, right? I wish it was a political winner. I wish caring about people who are trying to enter this country um, uh, in, in, a legal, in a legal way. Um, and I wish they were down there saying, hey, y'all asking the question, why don't, th- quote, these people come legally? That's the question to be asked. Why didn't they come legally? Why do these people who are in detention centers, why are they in detention centers? Because there is not a pathway for them to come legally. Yep. Mm, yep.
1: That's why. Yes. Water then- water flows the path of least resistance. And if you imagine like how difficult the process is, how unnavigable
2: it is. Yep. But yeah, that's the thing. This is you know, in conjunction with the Biden administration considering enacting a new policy where if someone is applying for asylum at the border, they have to have applied for asylum in every country they've come through to get to America. So the people we met that traveled from Honduras or Guatemala that traveled thousands of miles with the dream of creating a better life for their families, they would have to do the asylum process in every country along the way, or they won't be allowed to even apply for asylum in the U.S.,
0: which is just absurd. Absurd. And Dan, I I just learned uh, when I was down there this weekend from from Dora how this process is supposed to work and this won't shock you we'll do a whole we'll do a whole show, whole show on this uh, this week or next somebody has to use a smartphone or a computer in order to do that application hmm. do you know who is now set up a service to provide to the migrants oh, to fill out their applications yep the, the, the cartels. cartels of course the cartels so they charge them multiple thousands of dollars to fill that stuff out. Because as it turns out, when you're trying to flee a country, you don't have great cell service. Your battery might not last a really long time. And navigating a website on your mobile phone, if you've ever tried to navigate a government website. So the cartel is making billions of dollars helping people or extorting people as they fill out this very process and again it's the kind of thing that somehow makes sense to people sure they should apply in their own country i mean we some of us have been arguing this for a decade if you want people to apply for asylum before they get to the border make it possible yep. to do it in another country so right. they now make it possible or they make it a demand and then the infrastructure that they used to do and like a lot of web if anybody ever tried to go onto the uh healthcare um, system to apply for for healthcare. Remember under Obamacare, yeah. yes, and it was only open from like seven in the morning until ten at night. Like it's a website, but they had <laughs> open and closed periods. That's uh. a government thing, and that's in place as well. So people have to sit in an online queue, just like with healthcare.gov, while they wait. To log in, and then they get logged out day after day after day. Yeah. So the things that people um, we think should sort of make some sense just don't make any sense, and it yep. has not been taken uh, aggressively by the by the Biden administration. I guess what we can hope for is that they'll do it in their second term. You know, you can always always <laughs> yeah. hold out for that. It sort of hold ends up on breath. the on the uh, you know the second term list mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. Um, but look, all, all y'all, if you want to put any pressure on anyone, say to your elected officials and all the rest, ask them to yeah. care about not only the immigration system because it's a big topic, but to care about that access into the country and how it's made yeah. and the, the actual border and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. But we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do a whole show on this uh, in
1: yeah. a week or so. Yeah. Well, I am uh, I am bumping up against a hard break for me, but I would love for uh, the two of you to talk about uh, what Vote Common Good is up to. and. Uh, it's, uh, it's a march on Christian nationalism, and uh, Dan, I'm so excited about the project you've been working on. I am already subscribed and a listener. I You know, this is really great stuff and would love to see people um, jump on board and, uh, and learn all about this.
2: Yeah, we're excited about it, too. Uh, this whole month, we're focusing on the threat of Christian nationalism. We're calling it the March... On Christian National March of Christian, we're March marching. March on! March on, uh, it's March on Christian it's the, nationalism. It's the month of March. We're marching on Christian nationalism. Uh, but we uh, we're doing a number of things. One of which I'll talk about uh, is this new podcast we launched just this last Friday. Uh, it's called "Confronting Christian Nationalism." If you go to any of your podcast platforms uh, and just search "Confronting Christian Nationalism," this will pop up. We hope you subscribe and leave us a little review, but this content comes from our live events that we're uh, doing on tour over the last uh, election cycle where we were traveling the country in a big bus talking to people about the threat of Christian nationalism. We used tons of clips from people that self-identify as Christian nationalists and a bunch of interviews as well from experts, theologians, sociologists. Uh, who oppose Christian nationalism think it's maybe a bad idea for democracy and the church and we've distilled it into this uh, this limited series uh, podcast series uh, so it's kind of a you know bite-sized chunks, about half hour episodes that take you through what Christian nationalism is uh, why it's bad why it's attractive to people and what churches and individuals can do about it so make sure you check that out
0: And I'll just add to that, Dan, that if people are looking for a deeper definition of what Christian nationalism is so that you recognize why people hold to it, you know, somewhere around 50% of the U.S. population when surveyed holds to views that would be considered Christian nationalist views. And if that makes your head explode this podcast is designed to help you understand what is it that's attractive about it or why does Christian nationalism make sense to certain people? That's what this is designed to do. So uh, it's, as Dan said, it's, it's in parts 30, roughly 30 minute podcasts um, coming out weekly uh for the next you know six weeks and uh and then you'll end up with a whole thing if you just can't wait we do have an online version of the training that you can watch that's an hour and a half long and you can sort of go through the whole thing but the podcast is designed to be a, a podcast like experience um and uh so we're that's some of our material we also have other material on our on our website uh we're going to be part of two different events coming still in the month of march one of those Vogue Common Good is is a co-host of an international event in Oxford, England, with people from around the world who are confronting Christian nationalism in different contexts. We'll be bringing out some reports and some interviews and content from that because it's a global work. And then we're also involved with a group in Washington, with a gathering in Washington, D.C. that's going to be happening at the end of the month where confronting Christian nationalism is a theme and how can the uh, overall political system work on it. So we think it's an important thing um, for us to, to focus on. That's why we're spending the month of March on Christian nationalism in our March on Christian nationalism effort. And also it's just such a uh, you know, to people who prefer a good solid pun or dad joke, it's just—it's just, it's just <laughs> real
2: cute, real world cute.
0: class. Yeah, march on Christian on Christian nationalism, and we're actually trying to encourage a number of other groups and organizations every year to take on uh, the month of March as a focus on Christian nationalism, so that there's kind of a a, a, a rallying call to spend some time reminding us that Christian nationalism has been around has threatened this country nonstop from its founding and there's a new version of it or i might even say a new variant of it that's alive and well today and something that we really need to to address so lots of resources over on our website and uh, we really believe that two issues will help voters who have found themselves to be attached to republican party by accident because of their their religious tradition which is our primary work that we do we try to help people who've been um, you know, have a faith commitment that just came with a side order of republicanism to uh, swap that out. Uh, and Christian nationalism is one of those topics, and treatment of migrants and refugees is another. These are two issues that people really don't want in their politics and they really don't want in their faith, and so we think these are great issues to help somebody. Take a look and to say maybe I don't feel as aligned with the Republican Party. That is gives soft support to Christian nationalism and hard support to Christian nationalism on a constant and ongoing basis. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, give a listen to that podcast. The first uh, the first two episodes are out. The first one is super short. It's just a little trailer. So if you go there and you see you know uh, two episodes, one of them is the uh, is the trailer tells you what it's about, and then the other one is the uh, the, the first installment. And on Friday. The next one will come, and then every Friday for the next number of weeks, you'll be able to have a chance to yeah. to, to keep up with that.
2: So. Yeah, and Tricia in the chat says, are they still having those rallies for Christian nationalism? The fervor and marketing seems to have died down. I think maybe there's a lull, but things like Christian nationalism, they didn't happen by accident, and it won't go away by accident either. This is something that uh, for years has lived just below the surface of you know general public recognition. Uh, but it's it's in the water of the evangelical church. And so this is something we have to address, whether or not they're holding outright rallies in support of it, or just like you said, Doug, the soft uh, push for Christian nationalism that comes from pulpits and pundits.
0: Yeah, well said. Tricia, the answer to this is yes. The tours that Michael Flynn has been on are still ongoing. In fact, uh, Vote Common Goods is going to be part of an action in May in Florida down in Miami. So, uh, so Alex, you know, let's have a road trip. Uh, we're going to pull some people together because there's a big event going on down in Miami and we're going to have a counteraction there for these. So the answer is yes, they are still going on. Yes, there is still an aggressive push to recruit people into Christian nationalism, through not only a series of events but through a number of sophisticated uh, apparatus within the uh, right wing of the republican party that wants people to be in into all of this um and uh so yeah it's 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 not as top of mind to people as it was when the insurrection was clearly an outward sign um, you might call this the off season but in this off season the preparation is severe and when it we get into the election season in just another uh, number of months yes it's going to be a very important topic and something that that really does really does need to be addressed and we're going to we've got a couple of Couple of things in the works that we think are going to help uh, to to raise awareness around this on the uh, on the national level in politics. So, yeah, and look, it's uh, I I believe we're better off if we know and understand Christian nationalism and see it as a real uh, as a viable option for some people to hold and to believe, at least from their vantage point. People who hold the Christian nationalist views hold them because they believe they make the most sense they don't believe them because they think they're harmful to the country and harmful to their faith so to understand how is it that you think this is a positive thing is a crucial part of um, being capable and competent to be able to talk about christian nationalism with friends and family in a way that that makes sense because you would be shocked. Uh, in fact, we're going to be putting out a survey uh, here at the end of the week for you to take your own uh, How Christian Nationalist Am I uh, survey <laughs> uh, to find out. So we're going to ask you the same questions that are asked in the public surveys and you'll be surprised at the kinds of uh, results that are going to come from this. How many people have uh, soft and hard support for ideas that are clearly the basis of Christian nationalism? yeah big big march push on on all this and uh and we'll be talking about even even some more some more tomorrow so if you're into all of this uh we'll be up on it
2: yeah well thanks to everyone in the chat thanks for hanging out with us dana edward Tricia, alex jim always good to see you jim hope we get out to santa barbara soon as well <laughs> that'd be great yeah um,
0: all the answer is always yes we'll go to santa barbara <laughs> Uh, Haji, yeah. Uh, Hey, and and if you're hearing all these names and you're like, where are we getting those? They're people that are chatting in the chat. Um, And if you're in one of our streams, you might only see some of these names. The other people are maybe on Twitter or on Facebook or on our YouTube channel, which is our preferred place uh, for you to watch and engage with all of this. Um, So head over to our YouTube channel if you like watching this kind of thing. But if you're on Facebook and Twitter and all the rest, we certainly don't want to tell you what to do. So glad to have you around. Yep. Well, we'll see you all
2: tomorrow. Yeah, I think so. All right.
0: We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.